Uh, it's a privilege uh, to come and uh, bring God's uh, word uh, to you. Um, I'm Richard. I'm one of the uh, leaders here at uh, Beach Hill. Uh, if you've got any problems or concerns, leave them till this evening because Chris will be back. But otherwise, I'd be delighted to speak to you at the end. Uh, shall we pray as we come to God's word? Dear Lord, thank you uh, for the wonder that is the Bible. Thank you for what it tells us about the God who made us, who loves us, who redeems us, and who gives us hope for the future. Help us this morning to learn more about that great God and his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Caroline started to to pray for me uh, early, which was lovely. Um, but then it gets a little bit worrying because she starts actually saying what I'm going to say. Uh, if you notice, she said, uh, I was going to tell you why this passage was written, um, what it means, and what the implications are for us. So I've been hurriedly uh, rewriting it. <laughs> no, actually, that is exactly what I'm going to do, I hope. Um, and I hope that uh, you'll take... Uh, what we uh, what we think about this morning, you'll take it away and you'll think, what does that mean for me in my life uh, today, this week, and in the weeks to come? Um, it's a good manifesto, I guess, um, for pretty much any time you look at the Bible. Why was it written for us in this way? What does it mean? And what are the implications um, for us? And we're going to, I hope, uh, do that as we look at this particular uh, passage together. Uh, now, it won't come as a surprise to you that I'm a Guardian reader. Um, if you want to boo, boo quietly. Um, but I'm a Guardian reader. And one of the things that the Guardian does is they have a, a, an ongoing, I think every weekend, every Saturday, they have an ongoing uh, thing where they, they get two people together um, to, ha- to have a meal together. People who don't know each other. And who the Guardian feels are very different. So uh, I think it started with Brexit, because obviously a lot of people fell out over Brexit. Um, There was the pandemic, a lot of people fell out about how to handle the pandemic. Um, And so they they, they keep mining all these differences, age, voting record, feminism versus non-feminism. They even had um, low traffic neighbourhoods. Apparently that causes people to fall out very, very significantly. Uh, climate change, religion, and so on. So they get these two people together who, uh, who who are apparently completely different, ask them to have a meal together, and see what happens. Sometimes there are fireworks. Sometimes something remarkable happens. Well, we've got a passage here where you have, in a sense, two completely different people meeting each other. You've got Jesus... Uh, if you think of him in human terms, he's, uh, he's a Jew, he's an educated Jew, not from an educated background, but he's, he's sort of self-educated, knows the Bible really well. Uh, he's, um, he's become a teacher of significant repute. And on the other hand, you've got a woman who is not a Jew, um, who is uh, ethnically uh, somewhat different. Um, who has a different heritage, different outlook, and they meet. And I don't think it's a planned meeting on his part, um, and it probably was planned on her part only the same day, or maybe the day before. 
So they come together, a bit like uh, dining across the divide, and something remarkable happens. The story is brought to us... Oh, do I have to do something different here? Rose, help me. No, it's yeah. just oh, it's there. Just <laughs> I panic. <coughs> I, I'm, not, I, I'm a technophobe, I have to admit, and uh, when, when something doesn't happen, I would... Right, time. I shall remember. Okay. It's brought to us by Mark. Uh, Mark uh, writes the pithiest, the shortest uh, gospel. But it's not just pithy, it's not just short, but it's really purposeful. He has a really clear purpose in bringing it to us. It's not a biography of Jesus in the way that we would uh, normally understand a biography these days. But it's stories, a narrative presented as evidence to persuade us that Jesus is the King, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. He's laying down in his Gospel a challenge to Jews, but he's also laying down a challenge to Gentiles. And we see that in this passage and in the passages to come. Before we look at what's on the screen, though I'm sure you're all doing that already... Um, The first sentence of Mark's Gospel says this. He writes, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Bang. Hits us right between the eyes. In several ways. First of all, he says it's the beginning of the Gospel. Now, if he was just meaning, this is the first sentence I'm writing of my story, that would be a pretty stupid thing to say. Because we can see that. And he's not that kind of author. He's better than that. He actually says the beginning because his account, his narrative, is just the start of something. The account, the narrative that he gives us has implications that roll on down through the years, through the centuries. So it's the beginning of something. It's not the beginning and the end of something. So we have to say, well, what are the implications that roll on down the years from this story? And he says it's a gospel. Well, a gospel, we now understand to be good news. And that's true. It is good news. It's the most amazingly good news there's ever been. But gospel in those days meant an account, probably a written account, of something earth-shattering, something history-changing, epoch-making. That's what it meant. So what he's saying is, here's the start of something which changes everything, which is a huge historical event that has implications forever. That's what he's saying. And it's about Jesus Christ, and we know that means uh, the Saviour and the Messiah, the Son of God. He doesn't beat about the bush. That's who we're looking at. Jesus Christ, the person who saves, the person who has been so long awaited, and the Son of God. That's what we're looking at today. Now, just to put it in context, because we come at this point in this story to a significant moment in the narrative that Mark is presenting to us. Up until this point, Jesus has been talking to, ministering to, healing Jews. His followers, largely, but other people too. Um, In fact, on this occasion here, where Jesus feeds the 5,000... A huge number of people is he ministering to. The three stories leading up 
to the story that we looked at last time I spoke, I think back in April or May. Um, they were all about Jesus ministering to Jews. Then there was this pivotal story where Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and tells them that their way of going about things, their religion is completely dead, futile, pointless, going up a blind alley. Shocking stuff to them because they thought they were, they had it absolutely right. They thought they were the people that everybody else should be looking at because they've got it right. Jesus says you've got it completely wrong. It's not about all these rules, all these regulations, trying to get it absolutely right. It's actually about your heart. That's what it's about. It's your the orientation of your life. That's what it's about. That's the big confrontation and the, and the teaching that comes after it. It's huge. And after all of that, Mark presents a Jesus who goes off out of Israel, probably to rest and recuperate, and he meets this woman. And it's pivotal, and it's a new chapter. Because what you then get is three stories where Jesus is, all the evidence suggests, ministering to Gentiles. So you've got ministering to Jews, big confrontation with the Pharisees where he explains that the, in effect their interpretation of the Jewish religion is dead, that it's all about the heart, and then he starts ministering to Gentiles. Because actually, if religion is dead, then the distinction between Jews and Gentiles has gone. And that is what we're finding out today. Religion is dead, therefore Gentiles are included in what happens next. So that was, in Caroline's terms, why is it written? Um, in my terms it was finding out about Mark. Um, and now we're going to find out about Jesus. What does this story tell us about Jesus? Well, I said to you when I was talking about dialing across the divide, uh, we know that Jesus is a Jew, we know that he's a teacher. But we're going to find out a lot more about him in this story. Things that Mark has already presented to us, but he presents us, them to us in a different way, and, and in fact in, in a, a really exciting way, I think. Uh, in this particular story. Well, first we're reminded that Jesus is human. We don't know for sure why Jesus is entire, but as I suggested, um, it's likely that it's a, a chance to get away from uh, the, the sort of ministry for a period. Uh, it's a sabbatical. We were hearing about Graham's sabbatical um, at Spen Valley today. This is a sabbatical probably of only a couple of days or something, but he's he's gone away probably to, to think, to pray, to recharge physically, he was he was human. He was a he was just a human man in that sense, like us. But of course, he's not just a human man. Um, in a, in another sense, we know that he's he's fully divine. But he was human, and we, and we're reminded of that in this case. He wants to be away from the crowds for rest and recharge. But what we hear is that he can't hide. His reputation is now so so huge that people in Tyre find out about him. Oh, he's that, he's that man, he's that guy. And they want to, to find out more. And this woman hears about Jesus and uh, she breaks into his rest and recuperation. 
Now, Matthew's account, Matthew uh, is the other gospel author who gives us uh, an account of this occasion. Uh, he tells us about the disciples, and he says that they're trying to chase the woman away. Now, I think that's partly discrimination, I have to say. Um, you know, she's a Gentile, she's a woman, you know, get her away. But equally, there may be, if we're being fair to them, an element of wanting to protect Jesus. So it's probably mixed motives. But the encounter appears unplanned. The encounter appears unplanned. And so we have to have this picture of of Jesus the human being tired, wanting quiet, and getting it interrupted. Now, how would you react in a situation like that? Well, the disciples try and chase her away, but Jesus engages her in conversation. And actually, although at first sight... This conversation can seem a a little bit shocking to us. In fact, the more we dig into it, the more we realise how patient, compassionate, kind, understanding Jesus actually was. uh, Hebrews 4, verses uh, 14 to 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For... We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, uh, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Jesus was tired, probably um, just wanting, you know, it all to go away, just, just for a little bit of time. The woman breaks in, he talks to her. He does understand us and he does not sin. And therefore it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now that is exactly what this woman did. And we'll see a little bit more about that in a moment. But let's learn from this first of all that the human Jesus is patient, is kind and does not sin. What else do we learn though about Jesus? Well, we learn that he's mission focused. At first sight, the response that Jesus gives seems very off-putting. He says, so she comes in and she she begs him to drive the demon out of her daughter. He says, first, let the children eat all they want. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What a shocker. It appears to us at first sight. Here he is saying to her, I'm not interested in you. You're a dog. I'm only interested in the children, the Jews. That's a shocker. That's not the Jesus we know, is it? That's not actually what he's saying. But it's intre- But that is certainly how we first see it. Let's dig in a little bit more, because actually, as, as we understand it more, we'll see that that's not exactly what's going on. Now, Jesus does say, first, my mission is to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. That word first is so important because what he's not saying is I'm uninterested, totally and utterly for all time uninterested in the Gentiles. He's saying first my mission is to the Jews and then it will be to the Gentiles. So he's mission focused. He's got a sense of how his mission is supposed to be playing out. But he is holding out hope for the Gentiles, because his mission will come 
and the mission of the church will very much come to the Gentiles. There will be a Gentile mission, and we know uh, that that is the case. Um, We'll see a little bit more about what he says in a moment. But for the moment, we're still trying to find out more about Jesus. Jesus is radical. So he's not only human, we find out, but he's mission-focused. He's got a sense of what his mission looks like, and he's determined to follow it through. But he's also radical. So as we look at this encounter, and, and in our sort of 21st century eyes, look at the conversation and initially go, oof, not sure about that, we begin to see that actually it's very different. He's very radical. The Pharisees that he was talking to only a few days previously would not have gone anywhere near a Gentile woman. Now, they, in fact, this is this was what Jesus was having a go at them about, they used to come back from the marketplace and have to go through a lot of ritual washing because they might just have come in contact with a Gentile in the marketplace. That's what Jesus was was calling them out on. But Jesus, not only is he not going to have any ritual washing, he actually engages with this Gentile woman and talks to her. And that is hugely significant. And indeed... When the, when the disciples say, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us, as Matthew records, Jesus actually says, in effect, that no, that's wrong. I want to talk to her. And he talks to her. Now, it's interesting that all the gospel writers record uh, the importance of the barriers being broken down between Jews and Gentiles. And that was that was hugely radical in that day. So Matthew records, for example, this particular conversation because he thinks it's so important, as does Mark. Uh, we know that John records the conversation of Jesus with the Samaritan woman um, at the well because that is so important for us to know about, because it is so important that Jesus is breaking down these barriers. And of course in Luke we get um, we get the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke's the only author who brings us that. Because that breaking down of barriers is so important. So all the Gospel authors tell us about this breaking down of barriers. And Mark thinks it's really important that we should know how Jesus responds to this woman. Because it comes directly after Jesus' radical teaching about everything being new and the old barriers being uh, being wrong... What we're getting here is Paul showing that the radicalism of Jesus is not just about what he says, it's also about what he does. He's not only radical in the, in the fact that he's willing to talk to this woman, he's also compassionate. He's actually compassionate. So, yes, initially the words seem off-putting. Him saying, well, first of all, my mission is to uh, the Jews and only then to the Gentiles. But it's not as off-putting as it first appears. Because actually the word for dogs that Jesus uses is not the normal word that Jews would have used for dogs, which would have um, made us think about, or them think about, say, feral dogs, you know, the dogs that um, live off the scraps in the villages, which you can still see if you go to the Middle East, by the way. It still happens, you know, the packs of dogs that live off the, um, the scraps around the villages. That's not what Jesus, that's not the word Jesus uses. 
He actually uses a word, kinarioi, which means pet dogs or little dogs. So it's actually quite affectionate. So yes, he is saying there's an order here. But he's also saying, affectionately, I'm going to come to you. Just not yet. The other thing that I think is interesting is that this conversation will have been in Greek. Now you may forget, you know, we tend to think, don't we, of Jesus as being Aramaic speaking, because that was the that was the sort of lingua franca, that was the common language of um, of the, the Jews at that time. But in fact, there were lots of Gentiles living around the place, and lots of Jews for whom Greek was their first language. And where Jesus was brought up was very close to a lot of Greek-speaking villages and towns. And it is highly likely, especially being educated as he was, and yet educated himself as we know, that he spoke Greek. In fact, he couldn't have had this conversation if he hadn't been prepared to speak Greek. Because there's no way this woman would have been able to speak Aramaic. So he is not just meeting her in the sense of, I'm willing to speak to you as a Gentile woman, but he's also willing to speak her language, literally. He's willing to leave off his own language, speak her language, and have a conversation with her. So he's willing to speak her language, he's willing to speak to her at all, and he speaks to her affectionately. But he's still saying, not not yet. That's what he's still saying at this point. What also we see in this story is that Jesus is powerful. And at the very least, Mark is asking us to think, how powerful is this? Is this person divine? He's asking us to, to, to think about that. Because Jesus is so compassionate that he heals. So he talks to her affectionately. She keeps on saying to him, she replies to him, and he says to her, I commend your faith, your faith in me, blasphemy, if he's not God, and I will heal. And then what does he do? He heals the daughter who's not there. She's somewhere else. We don't know how far away, in the same town, but let's say a mile away. He heals her at a distance. It's the only occasion, there are two onlys here, only occasion where Jesus uh, heals at a distance in Mark's Gospel. Interesting that he records this particular uh, example of healing at a distance when it's for a Gentile. Who is this man? Mark is asking us to think. This man who is willing to break down all these, cross these cultural barriers, willing to have these conversations with non-Jews and able to heal at, at distance in this amazing way. Who is this man? Well, if we now turn to the desperate woman, we discover who she thinks he is. Well, instead of desperate woman, let's look at that desperation first. Mark says she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Begged. Threw herself at his feet. And Matthew records at least some of her begging words. 
Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now, there's no mention of a husband. And if there is a husband, he's probably useless. Um, Because he's not there, is he? He's not doing anything. So, she's taken this issue into her own hands. She's heard about Jesus. And she's heard that he's somebody very special indeed. In fact, she calls him Lord, as we will see. But she's desperate. She's heard about Jesus. She comes. The disciples try and push her away. She takes no notice. Jesus says to her, no, it's not my time for Gentiles like you yet. But she doesn't listen. She keeps on going. Why? Because she is desperate. And in her desperation, her faith removes all the obstacles. Desperate, desperate leads to faith. She has to believe in Jesus. She has no alternative. She throws herself on his mercy. But as we've seen already, she's excluded. As she comes to Jesus, she's excluded and she would know that. She would know that Jesus would probably not want anything to do with her. The disciples would not want anything to to do with her, but she still goes on. It's really interesting, isn't it, that we get the details, we get details about her. She's a Gentile, that's important for the story, and we've established that already. She's a woman, that's important for the story, we've established that already. But she's also Syrophoenician. Now, the Phoenicians were an interesting bunch. Um, By this time, they're not terribly significant, but they had a really significant, important history and heritage, and they were probably very proud of it. Uh, If you didn't know, the Phoenicians were a big seafaring people. Um, They colonised a lot of the eastern uh, Mediterranean. In particular, they colonised North Africa, and their big city there was Carthage. Now, if you know any classical history, you'll know about Hannibal and his elephants. Well, Hannibal was a Phoenician, he was a a Carthaginian, um, and he gave the Romans quite a runaround for a time. Um, That was the heritage that they had. But uh, it's pointed out that she's Syrophoenician, so although that's the heritage that she comes from, um, she's now from Syria. Syria was a Roman province, so the good times have gone. She's now just, um, you know, uh, in a backwater of the Roman Empire, the province of Syria. But she's not Jewish, she's from a different heritage, probably one that she'd be very proud of, and she's also um, living in a different province, uh, the province of Syria. One other Phoenician that we know of in the Bible was Jezebel. And in fact, there was a lot of intermarriage between the Jews and the Phoenicians, and it tended not to go well. And obviously we know that Jezebel, well, the story, we, Ahab was a pretty nasty character as well. So I don't think, you know, sometimes we think that Jezebel led him astray. I think he was pretty keen to go astray himself, to be honest. Um, but between them, they were a pretty nasty double act, weren't they? And Jezebel was Phoenician. So you can begin to see that there are, there are some real barriers here. And she would have known that she was excluded. And as a woman, she would normally have been excluded, certainly, from religious, educated conversation. And yet, she has this conversation with Jesus. He gives her the time of day. So she becomes included. She persists. 
She throws herself on Jesus' mercy. She addresses him as Lord. Very significant. The only, this is the only, other only. It's the only time that anybody in Mark calls Jesus Lord. And it's this Gentile woman. So she is, she recognises his sovereignty, his significance, his power, his authority, calls her Lord. And in response, Jesus is just amazed at her faith. And he says, because of your faith, I will heal your daughter. And in so doing, he includes her in the kingdom. And I don't know, I don't know whether Jesus was intending to go to a Gentile area next and begin his ministry to the Gentiles. But I'll hazard that he wasn't necessarily. Now, Jesus didn't know. We know that Jesus was limited by his humanity. Although he was fully God, he was limited by his humanity. He says, doesn't he, that that he doesn't know the time or the hour because of his limited humanity when um, he's asked about the future. There are things he doesn't know. He knows what his mission is, we've discovered. He knows he's got to teach, heal, and then go to the cross. He knows that, and he knows why. Does he know, I'll be doing this on this day, this on this day? I'm not sure he does. I think he works that out. And I'm going to hazard that this woman accelerates the decision to go to the Gentiles. Maybe not, and you can talk to me about it at the end, but I'm going to hazard that as a suggestion, that she, by her faith and her persistence, she actually persuades Jesus, maybe I start going to the Gentiles now. Maybe. Maybe. It's, uh, It's worth thinking about. Whatever. She certainly stands in that line of Gentile women, women, Rahab, Ruth, and others, who God included in his people to send us the message that in time we too would be included. She is, if you like, our precursor. She is showing us that people like us can be part of the kingdom. But it's also a challenge to us because she was unlikely, not expected. The, the disciples would never have thought that Jesus would have spoken to her. They'd never have thought that he would have um, given her the time of day. We will have those kind of prejudices, won't we? We will think, oh, there's no point in talking to him, her, no point in presenting the gospel to those type of people. You know, they're not gospel type people, are they? Of course they are. This this story is all about the fact that the gospel and Jesus' love is for everybody, whatever you like. And we know that Jesus at the end of his life on earth said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Make disciples of all nations. Phoenicians, Samaritans, British people, even Welsh people. You know, uh, you know, the whole, (laughs) the whole, the whole world needs the gospel and we have to go to the whole world. 
people that we would never expect will come to know and to love Jesus, but only if they hear. Paul says in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are all Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, thank you for this uh, wonderful story uh, of this woman who by all rights and standards of the day should have not been able to speak to Jesus and certainly shouldn't have uh, challenged him in the way that she did, begged him in the way that she did. And yet she did and he was kind and compassionate and he healed her daughter. Help us to learn the message today that the kingdom is for all people, however unexpected. Amen. Amen. Amen.